Hey everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Crime. This is the story of the life of Gypsy Rose and death of her mother, Dee Dee Blanchard. Like most of us, we wake up, go on our phones, and start scrolling through our social media. But on Sunday, June 14, 2015, friends and family saw a Facebook post from a mother and daughter shared Facebook account belonging to Gypsy and Dee Dee Blanchard. This post stated, quote, The bitch is dead, and I effing slashed that fat pig and R-worded her sweet, innocent daughter. Her scream was so loud, lol, unquote. Gypsy suffered from many different health issues to the point where she was in a wheelchair, so people were very concerned. People started commenting on the post, asking the mother and daughter if they were hacked. Friends of Gypsy and Dee Dee started calling with no answer, so Kim and Dave Blanchard, unrelated to Dee Dee and Gypsy, went to the house. The car was still in the driveway, but as they knocked on the door, still with no answer, they called the police for a wellness check. When police arrived, there was no clear sign of a break-in, so they couldn't legally enter the house. So the friend walked in, saw all three of Gypsy's wheelchairs in the house, but Gypsy and Dee Dee were not there. It was obvious that something happened to them, so they filed a missing persons report. That night, the evening news broke out that both Gypsy and Dee Dee Blanchard were endangered missing persons. Police finally entered the home that night around 1 in the morning to find any clues where the mother and daughter could have gone. When they went into Dee Dee's room, they found she had been stabbed several times in the back and her throat was slashed. But where was Gypsy? The morning news announced that Dee Dee was brutally killed and Gypsy was still a missing person. Most people in the community assumed Gypsy was dead as well, but just in another location. Gypsy Rose suffered from muscular dystrophy that bound her to a wheelchair, seizures, leukemia, and was fed through a tube. There was no way she walked off on her own, right? As family and friends are worried sick, thinking the worst happened to Gypsy, Jim Arnott of the Greene County Sheriff's Office released a press conference the next day. He says, quote, I want to start off with saying things are not as they always appear, unquote. He also says that there were two suspects in custody, Gypsy and a man named Nicholas Godijan. Detectives tracked down the IP address of the concerning Facebook post to a house in Big Bend, Wisconsin, owned by Stephanie and Charlie Goldamer. At the same time, they also got information about a 24-year-old man, Nicholas Godijan, from Gypsy's Facebook. This man also lived in Big Bend, Wisconsin. The two started an online relationship over a year prior, and police were assuming he killed both Dee Dee and Gypsy. When the press started looking into Nicholas's past, they found he had been arrested before for watching porn in a McDonald's while touching himself. Most believed he was an online predator who was setting Gypsy up. But Sheriff Arnott told the public, quote, Gypsy can walk without assistance or a wheelchair, and she can do that very well. We've unearthed the appearance of a long financial fraud scheme, unquote. Now, Gypsy and Dee Dee were receiving free housing from Habitat for Humanity, free trips to Disney, 
and plenty of financial donations due to chronic illnesses Gypsy had. But when the community who knew Gypsy very well saw her walking for the first time ever on June 17th at her arraignment, they were not only shocked, but outraged. They had not only given their time, but also their money to this family through donations. Many people thought that Gypsy was the mastermind behind these numerous faked illnesses. Boy, were they wrong. Dee Dee Blanchard, who was formerly known as Claudine Petra, was not even liked by her own family. When her father Claude was asked about Dee Dee, he said, quote, she was okay. Her stepmother had a lot more to say. She said Dee Dee would write bad checks as a teen and was a filthy person. She even believes Dee Dee tried to poison her with weed killer, and many other family members believe that Dee Dee killed her own mother by starving her. Dee Dee was also no stranger to the law. She was arrested for shoplifting, fraud with bad checks, and would even take credit cards out in her deceased mother's name and run up the bill like crazy. But she never paid for these bills. Dee Dee also used to work as a nurse's aide where she would commit similar fraud schemes. After Dee Dee's death, they actually thought it was another one of her tricks. Her sister even told her father to flush the ashes. At 24 years old, Dee Dee met Gypsy's father, Rod Blanchard, at a bowling alley in Louisiana. They got in a relationship and Dee Dee found out that they were pregnant very soon after. The only thing Dee Dee and Rod could do after this was get married. This was the 90s after all and that's what people did back then. Rod was only 17 years old. Rod said Gypsy's illnesses started when she was only three months old. At first, Dee Dee claimed Gypsy had sleep apnea that required a breathing monitor and it just continued to escalate. By the time Gypsy was seven years old, her mother told her she couldn't walk and had to be in a wheelchair because of muscular dystrophy. Dee Dee told Rod that they went to the doctors and had done some tests and found that Gypsy had a chromosome disorder which basically just explained away all of Gypsy's illnesses. After Hurricane Katrina tore through Louisiana and the Blanchard home, Dee Dee and Gypsy moved away to Springfield, Missouri, leaving Rod behind. There, they received a home from Habitat for Humanity to accommodate Gypsy's needs, like a wheelchair ramp, light switches that Gypsy could reach, and larger door openings. Gypsy and Rod's relationship was slim to none pretty much because Dee Dee would rarely let Rod see her. He said they would meet each other at a McDonald's every few years, but that was about it. Dee Dee told Gypsy that her father abandoned them and didn't want Gypsy, so she rarely reached out to her father. By the time Gypsy was in second grade, she stopped attending public school and began homeschooling instead. Her illnesses continued to escalate to the point where Gypsy believed she had leukemia and digestive problems that required a feeding tube. Dee Dee also shaved Gypsy's hair to continue the facade that Gypsy did in fact have cancer. Gypsy was not only receiving multiple treatments and surgeries for this tube, but was also taking hundreds of medications a day. This feeding tube would allow Dee Dee to place any medication into Gypsy's body 
without her consent. Medical records show that Dee Dee took Gypsy to the hospital over 100 times from 2005 to 2014. Gypsy recalls that Dee Dee would do all the talking and would squeeze Gypsy's hand during these appointments so she wouldn't expose the truth. Gypsy said she knew she could walk, but she believed everything else from the leukemia to the feeding tube. I mean, even the doctors are going along with it, so why wouldn't she believe she had all these problems? Well, most doctors were. In 2007, neurologist Dr. Barnardo Flasterstein wrote in his medical record, quote, The mother is not a good historian, unquote. He wrote this in bold and underlined after finding that Gypsy's brain and spinal MRI scans came back as normal. He also noted that Gypsy still had muscle mass in her legs, which she would not have if she were truly bound to a wheelchair for many years at this point. He also writes this, quote, Since last seen, I managed to talk to one of her previous providers. She specifically remembers Gypsy Rose and mentioned that her previous neurologist clearly reported that Gypsy does not have muscular dystrophy. Analyzing all the facts and after talking to her previous pediatrician, there is a strong possibility of Munchausen by proxy, unquote. So what is Munchausen by proxy? According to WebMD, quote, Munchausen syndrome by proxy is a psychological disorder marked by attention-seeking behavior by a caregiver through those who are in their care. The person with Munchausen syndrome by proxy gains attention by seeking medical help for exaggerated or made-up symptoms of a child in their care, unquote. So basically, this doctor just believes that Dee Dee is making all these illnesses up for Gypsy. Now, this doctor claims he did not report this because of the medical system and that they would reject him because Gypsy was not being neglected if anything, she was being taken care of too much. I just, I don't understand this. This girl, she's stuck in a wheelchair, is forced to have a feeding tube that she doesn't need. She, her mother is shaving her head and claiming that she has leukemia. And she's squeezing her hand so she doesn't talk to doctors. But she's being taken care of too much. Like, I don't believe that one bit. Dee Dee had actually requested all of Gypsy's medical records pretty much to screen them for reports like this, and she never saw this doctor again. But from the outside, Dee Dee appeared to be a great mother who would do anything for her extremely sick daughter. She did everything she could do to take care of Gypsy, go to Disney, constant hospital visits, and Dee Dee was always by her side as a single mother. Dee Dee told everyone that Gypsy wouldn't make it to be an adult, that she would die in her late teens. She wanted to give her daughter the best life she could until Gypsy passed. But another odd thing that, again, no one ever caught up on was Gypsy's age. She was born in 1991, so Rod called her on her 18th birthday. He never knew when it could be her last. When Dee Dee answered the phone asking why he was calling, he said to wish Gypsy a happy 18th birthday. But Dee Dee told him not to tell Gypsy that she was 18. 
When Broad questioned why, Dee Dee explained that Gypsy was developmentally delayed and she didn't want to push Gypsy to start acting like an adult if she wasn't ready. Although quite odd, it made sense at the time, I guess. But Dee Dee was also changing Gypsy's age on doctor's records every time they visited a new doctor to make Gypsy appear younger than she was. Once again, no one caught on to this. Now, I've seen Rod get a lot of heat for either not being in Gypsy's life and allowing this to happen to her. Rod says that he maintained his relationship with Gypsy primarily through phone calls, but didn't want to push Dee Dee too much because if he did, he knew Dee Dee would just cut him off. He was terrified he would never see his daughter again. And again, there were medical records saying that Gypsy did in fact have all these medical problems, so why wouldn't he believe the doctors? But how did these doctors falsely diagnose Gypsy? Well, as I've mentioned, Dee Dee was a nurse. She was also very, very convincing. Even when doctors showed tests that were inconclusive or negated Dee Dee's claims about Gypsy's illnesses, she would either argue her point with symptoms that pointed towards these illnesses or stop seeing the doctor altogether. She would also give Gypsy medications that would mimic the symptoms needed for a diagnosis. Hurricane Katrina also completely ruined their home and medical records were not computerized at the time like they are now. So Dee Dee was not able to provide the doctors in Missouri her prior medical records so she could pretty much say Gypsy had whatever Dee Dee decided. Dee Dee and Gypsy had a great relationship when she was a child though, but as she grew into her teens, she started to realize things were wrong. She was seeking more independence as all teenagers do. I mean, she knew she could walk, she knew she could eat, so why was she confined to a wheelchair in a feeding tube? When Gypsy asked her mother if she could have the feeding tube removed and start going to physical therapy, Dee Dee told Gypsy no. Then Gypsy found her Medicaid card. When she looked at the date of birth, she found out that it said 1991 and that she was 19 at the time, not 15 like her mom said. Her birth certificate changed when Dee Dee put a number 5 over the 1, so Gypsy believed she was born in 1995. This was only the start of a continued spiral that led to Dee Dee's death. After this, Gypsy ran away from home. Gypsy met a guy at a sci-fi convention and she told him everything that was going on with her mother. They planned that they would run away together to his home in Arkansas. At the time, he was staying with friends in Missouri for this convention, but they planned to leave the next day. Well, those friends he was staying with actually knew Dee Dee, so they called her. I mean, Gypsy was well known in the area for having serious medical conditions and they were probably just worried for her, not wanting her to run off and not get the help she may have needed. When Dee Dee came in, she told Gypsy's friends that she was 15 years old. This guy was 36 and he believed Dee Dee. I mean, Gypsy had this very high-pitched voice, dressed like a princess very often, and it made sense to him. 
you know, maybe Gypsy was the one lying to him. Well, Dee Dee brought Gypsy home, smashed her computer and cell phone, threatening to smash her fingers if she ever did it again. She then handcuffed Gypsy to her bed for two weeks. During this time, she would hit Gypsy with a coat hanger, tinted the windows so no one could see inside, and starved Gypsy. Now this is when things seriously changed. Dee Dee had never physically harmed Gypsy before, so this was the first time she noticed that her mother was a very violent person, and she needed to get away. Around this same time, she began talking to Nicholas Godajan in late 2012. They met on a Christian singles website. As Dee Dee was asleep, Gypsy would take her mother's computer and secretly talk to Nick. At first, she told him that she was in a wheelchair, but Nick was very accepting of her. They began a secret relationship from this point on. About a year into their relationship, Gypsy told Nick the truth that she did not need a wheelchair or a feeding tube, and that her mom forced her to. Once again, Nick was very accepting and even had some confessions of his own. He told Gypsy that he had multiple personality disorder, which included an evil side named Victor. Now, this was Gypsy's first boyfriend, and they had already been together for over a year. At this point, she would have done anything for him. Absolutely in love with Nick, Gypsy went along with Nick's multiple personalities and even created matching ones for herself. She called her evil side, Ruby. Nick also confessed that he was into BDSM and once again, Gypsy went along with it although she was very skeptical. With all their secrets out of their way, it was time for them to finally meet. Gypsy decided that they would meet at a movie theater and introduce Nick to her mom hoping for her approval of her boyfriend. But the movie Gypsy picked was Cinderella. Now, Nick would have been in his 20s all by himself watching a child's movie. Not a good look. So when Gypsy introduced Nick to her mother, Dee Dee thought he was a creep and completely disapproved. This led to an argument to the point where Gypsy says Dee Dee smacked her in the movie theater bathroom. Once again, the control and manipulation was getting too much for Gypsy. Now you have to understand, Gypsy was really about 21 to 22 at this point. She was an adult, and to be told that she can't have a boyfriend, let alone a friend who was a boy, because she didn't even introduce Nick as her boyfriend. She said he was a friend. It was just too much. Gypsy was really upset by this, but continued to secretly talk to Nick. Her mom even locked the computer at night, so Gypsy stole a cell phone to text Nick. This is when the planning officially started. They were having a conversation in May of 2014, and Nick said he would do anything to protect Gypsy. When she responded, even from my mother, Nick said yes. They called it Plan B. They were looking into other options, possibly running away again. But when police showed up at the Blanchard's home, stating that they had an anonymous call about abuse, Dee Dee completely fooled the police officers. At this point, Gypsy felt no one could help her. There was no escape. She told Nick, as long as my mom's alive, I can't be with you. At first, the plan started out with Gypsy killing her mom, either with poison, arson, or even shooting her. 
but Gypsy told Nick that she didn't have it in her to kill her mother. Then Nick said Victor, his evil side, would be happy to kill her mother, that he loves to kill. To this day, Nick says there's nothing I wouldn't do for her. The night of June 9, 2015, Nick Godajan took a Greyhound bus from Big Bend, Wisconsin to Springfield, Missouri, prepared to murder Dee Dee Blanchard. Gypsy texted him saying, quote, I left gloves outside the front door and the screen door is squeaky, so try to open it just enough to get in and close it gentle. I'll hand you the knife and duct tape inside, darling. I'm doing my nails too. I'm painting them dark pink, unquote. Nick responds, I'm here and get your ass to the bathroom and you open the door. Gypsy replies, yes, sir. I'm going now, sir. Gypsy says her last moments with her mom were painting their nails together after they made up from an argument. Before Dee Dee went to bed, she told Gypsy, I'm just starting to relax. Don't hurt me. During the early hours of the 10th, Nick went into the home while Gypsy waited in the bathroom with her hands over her ears. She says she could still hear the screaming as Dee Dee called for Gypsy for help. Eventually, it stopped. Afterwards, they packed up, stole all the money in the home, which amounted to about $5,000 cash, and went to a hotel where they took a video of the two naked and laughing as if nothing happened. It didn't look good, but Gypsy recalls feeling free for the first time and just happy. They left Missouri the next day and got on a Greyhound bus to go to Nick's parents' house in Wisconsin. Before they left, they actually mailed the knife that Nick used to kill Dee Dee, a bloody glove, and the remaining cash. Nick told his parents that Gypsy's mom kicked her out and that she was homeless, so she was going to stay with them. But they were happy for him. Nick had always been antisocial on the autism spectrum, so it was nice to see that he had a girlfriend. His parents say they were both very normal and nothing appeared to be wrong. Then, Gypsy made that Facebook status on the 14th, about four days after the murder, that alerted everyone something was wrong. The next morning, police surrounded the home where Nick and Gypsy were staying due to tracking the IP address of this Facebook status. As we previously talked about, police believed someone in this home killed both Dee Dee and Gypsy. But when Gypsy walked out with her hands up in surrender, it was shocking. Remember, she walked out. There were only three people who knew at this point Gypsy could walk. Gypsy, Nick, and Dee Dee. This was the first time Gypsy walked in public before, other than the time she ran away. They were both taken to the police department for further questioning while detectives continued to search Nick's room. There they found the murder weapon, the bloody glove, and thousands of dollars in, in cash inside an envelope that was sent from Springfield, Missouri. So it was pretty easy to connect the dots. But who killed Dee Dee and why? And how did Gypsy, who was known to be in a wheelchair, get to Wisconsin? How was she able to walk? Nick confessed to killing Dee Dee. He said it was for Gypsy and he'd do anything for her. When he was asked if Gypsy knew that he was going to kill her mother, he told detectives that Gypsy was the one who asked him to. Meanwhile, another detective is interviewing Gypsy. 
He tells her that her mother is dead and goes on to ask what she knew about it. Acting stunned as ever, Gypsy tells the detectives to wait and continues to ask if her mom is really dead. Um, your mom's dead, okay? Now, what I want to ask you wait, wait, is, what? Your, your, mom's, your mom's passed away, okay? And she's deceased, all right? Now, what I want to ask you, did you have involvement in this? Okay. She continuously denies any involvement in the death of her mother until she was indicted for conspiracy to commit murder on June 17, 2015, when the text messages between Nick and Gypsy were shown in court. There was no denying her involvement then. But when her attorney began looking through Gypsy's medical records, finding that all the tests came back as normal, and that there was never any mention of Gypsy having cancer. Gypsy was stunned. This was the first time she discovered that she was not sick and she never had been. Her entire life, she believed she had all these medical conditions other than the fact that she could eat and walk. I mean, she finally understood the control that her mother had over her, the reason why Dee Dee was so violent with her. Gypsy was also told the list of medications she was on, including Xanax, a very powerful sedative. She said the entire time she was given her medications, she would go into the sedated state. She pretty much had no feelings or emotions, which contributed to the decision to kill her mother. Now, a lot of people wonder why she didn't tell anyone or run away instead of resorting to murdering her mother. She could have told her father or her only friend Aaliyah, who was also a neighbor. She didn't tell her father because she thought he wouldn't care that he abandoned her based on her mother's lies. She also lost touch with Aaliyah after her mother told Gypsy that she was a bad influence and she didn't want them to be friends anymore. Anyone Gypsy spoke to, even on the phone, Dee Dee was always there. And she had tried to run away before and instead of treating Gypsy better, Didi smashed her belongings to resist any further contact with the outside world and chained her to a bed. Didi also made Gypsy sign legal documents stating that she was incompetent. She feared if she went to the police, they wouldn't believe her because of these documents. I mean, the police even went to her home and they didn't find anything wrong because Didi was that convincing. How much more abusive and terrifying could it get to the point of no return? At first, Gypsy faced life imprisonment, or even the death penalty, but when the prosecutor discovered the decades of abuse Gypsy suffered, they took that into consideration with her sentence. Gypsy was given a plea deal for 10 years with the possibility of parole after she served 85% of her sentence, or eight and a half years. Gypsy is eligible for parole in 2024. Today, she tells the press that life in prison is actually better and has less restrictions than life with her mother. But what about Nick? No one really talks about him much, despite his very gruesome involvement. Nick faced the full sentencing. He was tested twice to see if he was competent to stand trial. Despite his autism diagnosis, which placed Nick at an intellectual disadvantage, he was found competent. 
He also claimed that he had multiple personality disorder to the police, but was never diagnosed, so I believe the court could not test for that. Okay, I may go on a rant here, but I want to make this very clear. Not everyone who is on the spectrum or has a mental illness is a violent person. Autism is a spectrum. Not one person has the same challenges. Some are superiorly more intelligent than the average person, and some have severe intellectual disadvantages. Some individuals on the spectrum are completely unable to communicate verbally, while others are. None of these circumstances make an individual violent. Studies show a person is violent or aggressive based on negative emotions, especially fear or anger. In Nick's case, I believe it was both of these emotions. He was fearful that he would never be able to have a relationship with the person he loved, and the anger was presented at Dee Dee for preventing that. He was also aware of the severe physical abuse Gypsy was suffering from at the hands of her mother, which created even further hatred and anger. Many people placed the blame fully on Gypsy for manipulating Nick for three years. And I can totally see this after finding out Nick's lower intelligence levels, but at the same time, Gypsy did not make the choice to physically kill Dee Dee. Nick did, and he confessed to this. I agree with many of his supporters that prison is not where he should be, and he should be in a mental facility with the proper treatments for him. I fully believe he does have multiple personality disorder. He even told the detectives that he hears voices in his head and that he started to take medication, and then they became quote-unquote a part of him. I wonder if this was fully looked into and the medication just made the problem worse, but I don't know. I'm not a doctor. After the trial, Nick ended up with a life sentence. Nick and his family are now fighting this with an appeal that can be placed after 10 years. He is now in a prison facility that also has a special needs unit, so he has more care, but I wouldn't say that's sufficient. Personally, I don't know how I feel about the fight for his release. I have pretty torn emotions on that. I mean, it's just really hard to think about someone murdering another person and them just walking free. Nick also recently gave an interview and he still said he would do it all over again because he is in love with Gypsy. But at the same time, I am pretty happy Dee Dee is dead. She was a controlling and abusive person and I could see how Gypsy felt. There was no other way to escape. Gypsy is still in prison and she is actually engaged to another man. So that's it for this case. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Crime and I'll see you next time. Music